Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Book 16, chapters 9 through 20 of The City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo, Book 16, Chapter 9. But as to the fable that there are antipodes, that is to say, men on the opposite side of the earth, where the sun rises when it sets to us, men who walk with their feet opposite ours, that is on no ground credible. And indeed it is not affirmed that this has been learned by historical knowledge, but by scientific conjecture, on the ground that the earth is suspended within the concavity of the sky, and that it has as much room on the one side of it as on the other. Hence they say that the part which is beneath must also be inhabited. But they do not remark that although it be supposed or scientifically demonstrated that the world is of a round and spherical form, yet it does not follow that the other side of the earth is bare of water, nor even, though it be bare, does it immediately follow that it is peopled. For scripture, which proves the truth of its historical statements by the accomplishment of its prophecies, gives no false information, and it is too absurd to say that some men might have taken ship and traversed the whole wide ocean, and crossed from this side of the world to the other, and that thus even the inhabitants of that distant region are descended from that one first man. Wherefore let us seek if we can find the city of God that sojourns on earth among those human races who are catalogued as having been divided into seventy-two nations and as many languages. For it continued down to the deluge and the ark, and is proved to have existed still among the sons of Noah by their blessings, and chiefly in the eldest son Shem, for Japheth received this blessing that he should dwell in the tents of Shem. Chapter 10 it is necessary, therefore, to preserve the series of generations descending from Shem, for the sake of exhibiting the city of God after the flood, as before the flood it was exhibited in the series of generations descending from Seth. And therefore does divine scripture, after exhibiting the earthly city as Babylon, or confusion, revert to the patriarch Shem, and recapitulate the generations from him to Abraham, specifying besides the year in which each father begat the son that belonged to this line, and how long he lived. And unquestionably it is this which fulfills the promise I made, that it should appear why it is said of the sons of Heber, the name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. 
For what can we understand by the division of the earth, if not the diversity of languages? And therefore, omitting the other sons of Shem, who are not concerned in this matter, Scripture gives the genealogy of those by whom the line runs on to Abraham, as before the flood those are given who carried on the line to Noah from Seth. Accordingly, this series of generations begins thus. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was an hundred years old, and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad five hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. In like manner it registers the rest, naming the year of his life in which each begat the son who belonged to that line which extends to Abraham. It specifies, too, how many years he lived thereafter, begetting sons and daughters, that we may not childishly suppose that the men named were the only men, but may understand how the population increased, and how regions and kingdoms so vast could be populated by the descendants of Shem, especially the kingdom of Assyria, from which Ninus subdued the surrounding nations, reigning with brilliant prosperity, and bequeathing to his descendants a vast but thoroughly consolidated empire, which held to together for many centuries. But to avoid needless prolixity, we shall mention not the number of years each member of this series lived, but only the year of his life in which he begat his heir, that we may thus reckon the number of years from the flood to Abraham, and may at the same time leave room to touch briefly and cursorily upon some other matters necessary to our argument. In the second year, then, after the flood, Shem, when he was a hundred years old, begat Arphaxad. Arphaxad, when he was one hundred and thirty-five years old, begat Canaan. Canaan, when he was one hundred and thirty years old, begat Salah. Salah himself, too, was the same age when he begat Eber. Eber lived one hundred and thirty-four years, and begat Peleg, in whose days the earth was divided. Peleg himself lived one hundred and thirty years, and begat Reu, and Reu lived one hundred and thirty-two years, and begat Serug, Serug one hundred and thirty, and begat Nahor, and Nahor seventy-nine, and begat Terah, and Terah seventy, and begat Abram, whose name God afterwards changed into Abraham. There are thus from the flood to Abraham one thousand and seventy-two years, according to the Vulgate or Septuagint versions. In the Hebrew copies far fewer years are given, and for this either no reason or a not very credible one is given. When, therefore, we look for the city of God in these seventy-two nations, we cannot affirm that while they had but one lip, that is, one language, the human race had departed from the worship of the true God, and that genuine godliness had survived only in those generations which descend from Shem through Arphaxad and reach to Abraham. But from the time when they proudly built a tower to heaven, a symbol of godless exaltation, the city or society of the wicked becomes apparent. Whether it was only disguised before, or non-existent, whether both cities remained after the flood, the godly and the two sons of Noah who were blessed, and in their posterity, and the ungodly and the cursed son and his descendants, from whom sprang that mighty hutter against the Lord, is not easily determined. For possibly, and certainly this is more credible, there were despisers of God among the descendants of the two sons, even before Babylon was founded, and worshippers of God among the descendants of Ham. Certainly neither race was ever obliterated from earth. For in both the Psalms in which it is said, They are all gone aside, they are altogether become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We read further, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord? 
There was then a people of God even at that time. And therefore the words, There is none that doeth good, no, not one, were said of the sons of men, not of the sons of God. For it had been previously said, God looked down from heaven upon the sons of men, to see if any understood and sought after God. And then follow the words which demonstrate that all the sons of men, that is, all who belong to the city which lives according to man, not according to God, are reprobate. CHAPTER Eleven. Wherefore, as the fact of all using one language did not secure the absence of sin-infected men from the race, for even before the deluge there was one language, and yet all but the single family of just Noah were found worthy of destruction by the flood, so when the nations, by a prouder godlessness, earned the punishment of the dispersion and the confusion of tongues, and the city of the godless was called Confusion, or Babylon, there was still the house of Heber in which the primitive language of the race survived. Survived. And therefore, as I have already mentioned, when an enumeration is made of the sons of Shem, who each founded a nation, Heber is first mentioned, although he was of the fifth generation from Shem. And because, when the other races were divided by their own peculiar languages, his family preserved that language which is not unreasonably believed to have been the common language of the race, it was on this account thenceforth named Hebrew. For it then became necessary to distinguish this language from the rest by a proper name, though, while there was only one, it had no other name than the language of man, or human speech, it alone being spoken by the whole human race. Someone will say, if the earth was divided by languages in the days of Peleg, Heber's son, that language which was formerly common to all should rather have been called after Peleg. But we are to understand that Heber himself gave to his son this name Peleg, which means division, because he was born when the earth was divided, that is, at the very time of the division, and that this is the meaning of the words, in his days the earth was divided. For unless Heber had been still alive when the languages were multiplied, the language which was preserved in his house would not have been called after him. We are induced to believe that this was the primitive and common language, because the multiplication and change of languages was introduced as a punishment, and it is fit to ascribe to the people of God an immunity from this punishment. Nor is it without significance that this is the language which Abraham retained, and that he could not transmit it to all his descendants, but only to those of Jacob's line, who distinctively and eminently constituted God's people, and received his covenants, and were Christ's progenitors according to the flesh. In the same way, Heber himself did not transmit that language to all his posterity, but only to the line from which Abraham sprang. And thus, although it is not expressly stated that when the wicked were building Babylon there was a godly seed remaining, this indistinctness is intended to stimulate research rather than to elude it. For when we see that originally there was one common language, and that Heber is mentioned before all Shem's sons, though he belonged to the fifth generation from him, and that the language which the patriarchs and prophets used, not only in their conversation, but in the authoritative language of Scripture, is called Hebrew, when we are asked where that primitive and common language was preserved after the confusion of tongues, certainly, as there can be no doubt that those among whom it was preserved were exempt from the punishment embodied, what other suggestion can we make than that it survived in the family of him whose name it took, and that this is no small proof of the righteousness of this family, that the punishment with which the other families were visited did not fall upon it. But yet another question is mooted, 